This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome, dear friends, to another edition of On Mike with Jordan Rich. Conversation is alive and well with creative people who have a lot to say and a lot to offer. And today we explore a local treasure that is actually known to people all over the world. It is the Boston Athenaeum. A combination library, museum, and cultural center, one of the country's oldest and most distinguished independent libraries. With millions of books dating back to the 1800s, rare books, maps, manuscripts, thousands of works of art, from paintings and sculpture to prints and photographs. Today, we'll explore the history and the allure of this famous Boston institution with the director, Leah Rosofsky, who joins us now on mic. So the first question people probably have for you is, what's the difference, if there is any, between a library and an Athenaeum? Is there a difference? <laughs> there <laughs> is. Um, you know, the, the word Athenaeum um, actually comes in its original use from, not surprisingly, Athena and the Greeks, who um, had this idea of, you know, Athena with for, for those of you who don't know, was the goddess of wisdom and ironically also the goddess, goddess of war. But um, there were Greek temples that uh, were uh, about worshiping knowledge and learning. And that was really the first use of the word Athenaeum. It started to come back um, and become um, very, very uh, sort of au courant in um, uh, England in kind of the late 1700s, early 1800s. It's used to describe a wide variety of things. So our Athenaeum is a library. It's a place. It's a museum. It's a cultural center. It's all of those things. Um, but the word is used in some cases to mean purely a private club. Um, in some cases, it's all about music. Um, in, there are many, many different uses of, of the word. Um, and the original use is not does not refer to library. It refers to really learning. But this is a case where people can become members of the Athenaeum. And how does that work? Please. Yeah, that's true. So we are member supported, you know, much like WGBH, for example, is member supported. Um, anyone can become a member and we are, um, you know, we, we welcome anyone who is interested in what we're doing. Um, in addition to that, uh, there is, um, again, like a museum, uh, there is access to our first floor, which is where the majority of our exhibitions are and where our art is shown. Um, and that's, you know, that that's open to the public like a museum for a actually fairly small fee. Well, you mentioned art, so why don't we start there? There are some incredible portraits on the wall. There are statues. I mean, it's almost like venturing into the uh, MFA, the Museum of Fine Arts, at, at some point. Describe what we see when we enter. Well, there are really two major ways you can go. Um, when you go left, uh, you see a set of collections built around um, interesting themes that highlight both our oil paintings and our works on paper. So we have a, a lot of our collection is uh, prints, photographs, watercolors, and we, we match those kinds of objects 
with our oil paintings and rotate the works on paper on a regular basis. So, you know, you might see a, a sergeant portrait. You might see the work of Alan Rohan Kreit, who is a Black uh, Boston artist of the 20th century and is really considered the um, kind of equivalent of the Harlem Renaissance in Boston. Uh, it's the way many people describe Kreit. Um, you might see portraits done by Gilbert Stewart, who did the famous Washington portraits. So that's one section. And then in another section of the building, we have a, a gallery where we do uh, rotating exhibitions. So our next exhibition, for example, is going to be on um, uh, the um, uh, the abolitionist, the black abolitionist, Harriet Hayden, who lived in uh, Boston, actually around the corner from the Athenaeum in the 1850s, 60s, 70s. Um, and this is a, a uh, exhibition based on a set of uh, uh, photograph albums that uh, illustrates much about both her life and about the black abolitionist movement in, in Boston in the years leading up to, during and after the Civil War. So much richness. And now let's talk about the books. I, I read somewhere close to half a million, if not more, volumes and a lot of rare volumes, a lot of things that are very valuable and very rare. You don't have to go through the whole list. It would take forever. But what are some of the highlights if you're giving a tour? What do you tell people? So the half a million volumes is actually our circulating collection. So those are books that you can walk in and, you know, if you're a member, you can take them home with you. So so you can get, you know, the latest Thursday Murder Club mystery uh, out, of, out of the Athenaeum or trollop or whatever it is that that appeals to you um so we have those and in addition to that we have about a little more than a hundred thousand rare uh objects and so there are some um let's see for example we have a complete set of the audubon folios those huge uh audubon books we have something called the nuremberg chronicles which are a hand-painted uh set of books that were printed in the 1400s uh we have you know medieval books of ours we also have very modern materials so we have uh books that are books as works of art uh, done by contemporary artists who are interested in using the craft and the fine printing techniques of book making to make artistic statements. And they range from the unbelievably heartbreakingly beautiful to the incredibly provocative. And we have a very important collection of those books as well. It's interesting. When I've been there, I've noticed a lot of people, I'm sure they're members, who are studying and using the Athenaeum as a research tool. And uh, you, I, I'm going to talk about some of the famous people who have been members who have probably done a lot of research there, but that's a very <laughs> big part of the Athenaeum experience, isn't it? It is a big, it is a big part of the Athenaeum experience. And, um, uh, you know, in fact, I talked about being member supported, uh, but our research capacity is open to anyone who would like to use our rare material for their research. So if you would like to um, make an appointment to uh, work on one of our uh, pieces of rare material, you any, anyone, anybody can do that. that. That's something that's open to the public. Um, and lots of people have done uh, important research here. You know, we have a particular, um, particularly important set of collections around the Civil War. 
so uh, Ilion Wu, for example, who wrote um, uh, Husband, Wife, Master, Slave, did some of her research here. Uh, Drew Faust, uh, who is a, you know, in addition to being the former president of Harvard, a very uh, distinguished uh, historian of the Civil War, uh, did work for her book, This Republic of Suffering here. So there are many, many people who've used our research collections for, for lots of different things. I was looking at the list of some of the notables who have had membership. No big names. Ralph Waldo Emerson, <laughs> <laughs> Louisa right. May Alcott, right. Oliver Wendell Holmes, senior and junior. Uh, and, and of course, Massachusetts for a long time was the home of the presidents. So you get John Quincy Adams. And um, yeah. Are there remnants of any of these people that were left behind or gathered up to celebrate them over the years? I mean... Well, so, for example, one of the things that we have is we have the majority of George Washington's personal library. So not a Massachusetts resident, but but we do have we do have that material. So, you know, that that's that's one example of a presidential collection. But uh, I was just mentioning some of these writers, Amy Lowell, uh, Margaret Fuller, Francis Parkman, some of them are writers, some of them aren't. But uh, I can just picture in my mind, I'm using my imagination you know, there's uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne thinking about Salem and working in Boston and doing a little research. Who knows? I mean, well, Hawthorne cool did. Stuff. I mean, Hawthorne used the Athenaeum, and in fact, he has a um, he has a ghost story that takes place at the Athenaeum. Um, so, you know, he he did write about it. I am not going to be able to tell you exactly what material we have from the figures that you mentioned, although I am sure we do. Um, but you are now. You're now delving deeper into my knowledge of our collections. And I'm yeah, I'm going a little into the minutiae here. And, uh, you know, one thing you mentioned is that there's a modern uh, connection to modernity, I guess. And uh, I imagine you have a pretty interesting system of computers that can keep track of all this stuff. Can you imagine doing this in the 1880s with all these volumes and they did it by hand? I, I mean, we have in the basement, actually, I mean, they're they're historical as much as anything. People don't really use them for research tools. But we have, in fact, an old part of our card catalog, you know, still on the, the handwritten paper. And they were remarkable. Um, they were remarkable catalogers of information. I also think the collections were smaller and people probably had more in their in their heads. But no, we have a we have a our computer system, it's called Athena, uh, is absolutely critical to our ability to to operate. I mean, cataloging is um is it I mean it's not only important to help you find whether that, you know, that that volume of uh of I don't know, lessons in chemistry. <laughs> Are there any volumes that you can get to right now? Um, but it's because it'll show you what's in, you know, what's in the building. But it's also absolutely critical for finding rare material. And the amount of information, the way it's entered, um, what it is related to, uh, and and how it's classified, especially among rare material, is an absolutely crucial part of what what we do. Right. Before we sign off, uh, the Athenaeum here in Boston is such a gem, and I don't think we appreciate it. Well, we appreciate it, but maybe uh, looking around the rest of the country, there's there's a lot of stuff, there's a lot of history, but it all started here. <laughs> you know, it all it, we're the cradle of liberty, and it all started here. So um, have you had a chance to connect with other uh, people in positions similar to yours around the country? Is there a, a network of, of yeah. interest? 
There actually are two networks that that um, that the Athenaeum belongs to, and they're they're both quite interesting. Um, one is the membership library group. So this is uh, there are about about fifteen membership libraries in the United States, and actually the London Library um, is also involved in in the group. Um, but that would include like the New York Society Library, the Center for Fiction in New York. Um, uh, the La Jolla Athenaeum in um, uh, in La Jolla. It's called the Mechanics Institute in San Francisco. I mean, there is a group of 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 uh, so I said membership libraries that meets quite actively. There's also a group called the Independent Research Library Association, and that's uh, research libraries that aren't connected with um, uh, a university. Um, and, you know, the Morgan Library is an example of that, the Huntington Library in California, um, uh, Winterthur has an important library. So, so that's another, another group that we're, we're a part of for really in some ways a different part of what we do. I'm talking with the, uh, the person at the top, but what number of staff do you have to make this wonderful, uh, institution function on a daily basis? Let's give them a we little have, credit. We have about 60 people. 60 people. And again, we mentioned it earlier, support comes from members. Uh, and Absolutely. Members yep. and donors. I mean, we are, we are, you know, we're, we're a, we're a nonprofit and, and we are, um, we are, we are dependent and profoundly grateful for the, the philanthropy that allows us to exist. And what's the most fun part of your job, Leah? Oh my gosh! I, I wouldn't know where to begin. I I have one of I have one of the. I mean, truly, it's a dream job. I mean, from you know, from working with an incredible staff to getting to to see the kinds of art and rare material and uh, and and you know, we have an incredible membership. I mean, I I spend a lot of my time talking to members, meeting people, understanding what's important to them in the Athenaeum. I mean, those are absolutely. Those conversations are a huge part of my job and an enormous pleasure. So, well, we want to thank you for taking time out of this very busy day to chat a little bit about this. It's a, I don't want to call it a hidden gem because I know it exists. No, no, no. We're not hidden. We're trying very hard exactly. to be very public. Yes. And, and it's so close to the State House and yeah. all the, in the Freedom Trail. It's, it's definitely a must take. Uh, this podcast goes all over the world. So, people come to Boston and do check out the Boston Athenaeum. Oh, that's Leah Rosowski, thank you so much. Thank you, Jordan. I appreciate the time to, to talk about the Athenaeum, one of the best places in the world. Once again, my thanks to Leah Rosofsky and everyone at the Boston Athenaeum, a national treasure. Find out more at bostonathenaeum.org. And yes, if you need the spelling on that, it's A-T-H-E-N-A-E-U-M, the Boston Athenaeum. Hey, thanks so much for subscribing and downloading, rating and reviewing this podcast. With hundreds of thousands of downloads, your five-star reviews really help us promote the podcast worldwide, and I appreciate that. Go to jordanrich.com. Also check out chartproductions.com, the studio in which we produce the podcast. And special thanks to Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media for his help in publishing. Till next time, this is JR saying, as always, be well so you can do good. Take care. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done 
which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.